When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Thank you for joining me. Happy Monday. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic show for you today. Steve Kim will be on. Uh, Matt Burke, former NFL player, 14-year NFL player, six-time Pro Bowler, bunch of accolades. He's going to be on the show as well. TJ Moe in studio with us uh, today. Happy to have uh, TJ here. Round of applause for TJ Moe uh, coming to town. Unannounced. Uh, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start today's show by explaining to you, and I, I did a little bit of this last week, explaining to you why I'm not leading a Super Bowl boycott. Uh, I know we talked about it months ago at the start of the NFL season. People have reached out and asked me about it. There will be people to say, look, oh, Jason Woodlock's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, that's why he's not leading a Super Bowl boycott, and that is not why. Uh, as I explained to you guys last week, and because we are at the start of Super Bowl week, I explained to you guys last week that I concluded after making the, the statements I did at the beginning of the football season and reaching out uh, to certain people that I thought I needed to get on board in order to make it happen on a grand enough scale that it would make sense. I decided that I'm not the right person. And as you've heard me talk about all my different uh, media beefs over the years, that I'm such a polarizing figure in the media space, even among some conservatives, I'm so polarizing that I didn't feel like I could galvanize, inspire enough people to hop on board that it would make any difference or real impact. For, for a year, when my favorite team is in the Super Bowl, I have very little enthusiasm for this Super Bowl. And, and, and I'm saying that in a relative, in compared, comparatively to how I normally feel about the Super Bowl and how I normally feel when the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. I just don't have the passion for it. I'm gonna be in Florida uh, this weekend and I'm gonna fly back here uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know whether I'll watch the Super Bowl. I'm sure I'll watch some of it because I wanna be prepared to talk on this show. But just like over the majority of this NFL season, I've watched so much less. I, my, my football consumption has probably dipped 75%. The, the, I'm not even, I don't know how many second halves of Sunday night football I actually watched. I, I would just, because I'd watch a game in the afternoon and, and then I was filled up 
and I had other things I wanted to do on Sunday, read my Bible, uh, have conversations with people, th that I, I just didn't watch nearly as much football. And I'm not, I'll, I'm telling you, I'll watch some of this Super Bowl. I don't know, will I make it to the end? I don't know if the, if the game, if the officiating's too bad or the game's too boring or whatever. I could check out. I, I'm not saying all that to make a bunch of excuses for not leading a boycott of the Super Bowl. I'm just telling you, I was the wrong guy to, to galvanize the kind of support that I thought necessary to make it a success. I was the wrong guy. And so I apologize to those of you all that were excited and applaud those of you all that have no intention of watching the Super Bowl because it is a highly secular event. Uh, it does, football, the NFL has been overtaken by the woke mob. And, and I don't blame you for not having the enthusiasm uh, for the athletes that you once had. You got Travis Kelsey out there promoting the vaccine. Uh, you know, I, I get, and again, I've argued last week that like, hey man, don't, let's don't demonize Taylor Swift, it, it makes conservatives look crazy. But I get why many of you are not on board with Taylor Swift. She's pro-abortion. Uh, she's, you know, demonic in many, many ways. And, and I get why, you know, you're turned off by Taylor Swift and, and all that. And so I'm turned off for the same reason. The same, you know, a few years ago when they had Dr. Dre and all those guys, during the halftime deal, that was very frustrating and annoying for me. So maybe next year I'll reach a different conclusion. I don't, I'm telling you, honestly, it has nothing to do with the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. I do want the Chiefs to win because I'm not going to call out names because I don't want people reading into the names that I call out that are members of the Kansas City Chiefs organization, but I'll be rooting for those guys. Uh, but do I care one way or the other? Not really. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I, I wanna, well, let me, before I transition into another Super Bowl related topic and give you a little analysis on what could potentially happen in the Super Bowl. Let me take care of uh, one of our great sponsors. Guys, looking to score a few extra points by giving the perfect Valentine's Day gift? Here's a tip that'll have her bragging about how thoughtful you are. I'm talking about soft, luxurious bedding from Cozier. Their sheets are now available in 15 colors. I own a set of their driftwood colored sheets, and it really, really is changing luxury. Listen, Cozy Earth bedding is incredibly soft, lightweight, and naturally temperature regulating, so she'll sleep more comfortably year round, and so will you. And Cozy Earth uses only the very finest materials, including premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo. Plus, every Cozy Earth bedding item comes in a beautiful, reusable canvas bag, which means no gift wrapping required. And while you're checking out their world's softest sheets, don't miss their luxury pajamas, ultra comfortable joggers, plush lounge socks, or premium bath towel collection. She'll love them too. Fall in love with everyday luxury at Cozy Earth. Go to CozyEarth.com and enter my promo code FEARLESS at checkout for up to 35% off. 
your first order. That's CozyEarth.com, my promo code, FEARLESS, for 35% off your first order. Let me transition uh, TJ to a conversation we'll have with Steve Kim here in a minute, along with some other uh, sports topics. Uh, I want to tell you why, as a Chiefs fan, I'm nervous about this Super Bowl. And if you guys remember, uh, in Super Bowl 55, I believe it was, just a couple years ago, or a few years ago, 55, yeah, that was three Super Bowls ago, right before that Super Bowl versus Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, guess whose son got arrested in a drunk driving incident? Andy Reid's son. He, he damaged a young child leaving the Chiefs facility I think the week before or the bye week between the Super Bowl, he, he got he sideswiped a car and injured a child uh, on a highway. He had been drinking. And it was my belief then that when you looked at the Chiefs offense during that Super Bowl, it was clear as day that Andy Reid had been wounded mentally, emotionally. His son, who he loves, was involved in something that Andy, I'm sure, knew it that, man, my son's going to go away. He's had other problems. He's going to do some time. This year, in the bye week before the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes' father, Patrick Mahomes Sr., just got arrested for his third DWI. And it is believed that that requires an automatic prison term if he's convicted of this. This just happened over the weekend, same scenario, not as serious. Luckily, he didn't injure anybody or harm a young child. But Patrick Mahomes is going to have his thoughts and focus clouded because of what happened to his dad. I'm telling you, Super Bowl 55 against Tampa, Andy Reid was distracted. The offense was distracted and not focused. Patrick Mahomes was off his game, I believe, because Andy Reid was off his game, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won that Super Bowl. I think we could potentially be looking at another scenario where Patrick Mahomes goes into the game, his dad. And I don't know or particularly have all the details on just how close he is with his dad, but if my dad had gotten arrested for the third time for DUI, and was likely going to jail, that would distract me, that would concern me, that would impact my preparation for the Super Bowl. I can't say if it's going to happen a thousand percent for sure, but it just seems eerily similar to what happened at Super Bowl 55 with Andy Reid's son. It's an ominous note. TJ, you, you got, obviously you and your dad are thick and you know BFF and all that but I don't know if that's Patrick Mahomes but his relationship with his dad but his dad did a lot of the games I see him on TV yep. do you think potentially this could impact Patrick's performance in the Super Bowl well I don't know I, I can't figure out how it wouldn't if, if your dad is facing jail time because what I read is his first DWI was 2014 he just had to pay a fine second one was 2018 and I think he had 40 days in jail and so this time, are we looking at years in jail? Certainly months. Now, there is this part. He, he got out on bond, $10,000 bond. 
and they're allowing him to travel out of state. So his dad will be at the Super Bowl. I think that'll help. If you can have him in the, he's going to be in a you know VIP booth, not a lot of drink, obviously, but he'll be up there with uh, you know Taylor and whoever else just sitting. That will help. It's a little different than your son. Or if I remember this right, didn't he kill the young man? Um, Andy I Reed's thought he kid? injured injured a young female child. Okay. I don't severely. She she's got she's got trauma and issues that she's going to have for the rest of her life. Yeah, and I wonder. I know the the. When it's your son, it's a little different than when it's your dad. But you can handle when somebody does something to themselves. It's very difficult when you take on the, the feeling of having harmed someone else. And it was your son who was on your staff. That's a little bit different. His dad didn't hurt anybody. It's like, Pop's got to learn somehow. So take a year in jail if you have to, and we'll see you in a bit. I, I, I My dad's passed. And so... Uh, I sit around, and not that my brother does anything criminal, because he doesn't, but I, it's just like, if my brother or sister or mom or anybody was having to go to prison, jail, <laughs> I, I don't know if I could think about anything else. Mm-hmm. It, it's, th- those institutions are not safe. And, it do- and when you're Patrick Mahomes' father going to jail, it makes you a target. Yeah. It makes you very vulnerable where, where he does the time at, but it doesn't matter. He's incarcerated. There are gangs in prison that look for guys like that uh, to exploit and, you know, make sure, you know, for your safety, there may be someone you have to pay off mm-hmm. inside those facilities, either guards or inmates. So I, all of this could have enormous impact on Patrick Mahomes or Maybe he can compartmentalize and say, my dad brought this on himself. He's got a drinking problem. We've told him about it. Uh, you know what? These are your problems. And that's the part where it's like, there's so much of the story we don't know. If this is, let's, I have no idea. So just full disclosure, I'm making all of this up. But let's say he's been a drunk for the last 20 years. And we only know about these three occurrences. But Patrick's been dealing with it for most of his life. And he's saying he won't go to therapy. He won't go to AA. This is the only thing that's going to stop him. It may actually be a pressure release valve. All right. uh, We'll discuss that and more with Steve Kim uh, here in a moment. Before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about uh, Patriot Mobile. For 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And when I say only, trust me, they're the only ones. Founder Glenn Story and his team have been great supporters of this show, which is why I'm proud to partner with them and I'm proud to use their phones and their services. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding the left. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, and our military veterans and first responders. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Keep your phone, keep your number, or upgrade. Their team will help you find the, the package that's the best plan for your needs. Just go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation when you use the offer code Jason. Join me. Make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. Or call 972-PATRIOT. Steve Kim.
if your company starts a DEI department? All, let's say there's really not much discrimination going on in your company. I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care. Let me tell you. Right, <laughs> the DEI person is not going to come into your office and say, well, you know, things are actually going really well here. No, what they're <laughs> going to do is justify their position and go start hunting up. With great power comes great responsibility. Well, you know what? There was some discrimination. Uh, a white guy on the job uh, mispronounce LaShaquanda's name and she thinks it's racist. I don't give a f Keisha. And so I had to go have a meeting and walk him through how you pronounce LaShaquanda. And, and boy, blah, blah. And that's what they do. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back to the show. We're sitting here talking about Patrick Mahomes Sr. has secured his third DUI arrest. Uh, do you think that will hurt Patrick Mahomes securing his third uh, Super Bowl ring? Well, it's not going to help. I mean, but, you know, I don't know if the Super Bowl uh, ads have all been bought, but a Mahomes Uber ad, I think, would be very timely. And I think would actually create a lot of buzz. Hey, when you're a little bit buzzed, call an Uber. You know, don't like spending time with the in-laws? Call an Uber. Hate your other son, Jackson? Call an Uber. I, I just, but look, look, this is going to be a story as the, Two teams touch down, and I think customarily they go through an opening press conference. I'll never forget, Jason. I'm sure you might have been there, but in uh, 2000 or 2001, when Ray Lewis and Shannon Sharp and Brian Billick came swaggering into Tampa, I, I still recall vividly Brian Billick and Shannon Sharp laying down the law to the media, and they said, hey, guys, the Ray Lewis thing in Atlanta, yeah, we're going to address it now, and that's it. We're not talking about it. We're not going to bring it up. I'm not going to let you bring it up. It happened. He served his time. And that's it. And I remember the media was completely outraged, as they probably should have been. They may have been justified in those feelings. But, Jason, I, I want to ask you a question. Do you think in the age of social media, you couldn't even do that anymore? Create an embargo for yourself and say, hey, that Mahomes thing, none of us are talking about it. Don't even bring it up. Uh, yes, I do. I think it's easier to do that now than before then. Steve, are you aware that Roger Goodell has moved the commissioner's press conference to Monday? It used to be on Friday, and it was on Friday because by Friday, all of the media would be at the site of the Super Bowl uh, location, and so he could meet with the majority of the media. You move it to Monday, particularly in these cost-cutting times with media outlets, most of the media isn't there, and then on top of that, He's made his press conference invitation Invite. only. So well, now, putting up borders, oh my God, yes, they, they can put up borders. Well, and, 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 and everybody in the media, Steve, knows like, hey, if you ask the wrong question, uh, they're going to cut off access. And so it, it's a lot easier. Just People are scared to death to ask Patrick Holmes any real questions because it might hurt their uh, access. 
Yeah, look, I, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that. But here I thought Mahomes, uh, uh, Commissioner Goodell did that just to live off the buzz of the Pro Bowl. I, I thought he wanted to keep keep that moment. Boy, have they ruined a great institution, Jason? I didn't watch. People say I didn't watch one minute. I watched even less than that. Uh, I, there used to be a time the Pro Bowl was a real football game. Going into the 90s, guys were still hitting. People still cared. It got pretty tough in the fourth quarter. To see what they have done with what used to be a great honor for all these pro football players and to turn it into P.E. class, sad. Sad, sad, sad. Mm -mm. It's funny you mention that, Steve, because, you know, YouTube is now posting all of these classic games, classic sporting events. And so I literally just watched a highlight package of the 1975 Pro Bowl. James Harris, Mm -hmm. James Shaq Harris, my favorite quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams, started my passion for the Los Angeles Rams. He threw two touchdowns in that Pro Bowl. And I had forgotten, like, James Harris made the Pro Bowl? And I went and looked up the stats and all that. And I I vaguely remember the game. But, yeah, the Pro Bowl used to really mean something. Now it means nothing. It's – it's they need to – this whole Pro Bowl games deal with a flag football, they just need to cancel it. Mm -hmm. Because all it does is serve as a reminder of how much football has been destroyed. And it should just be a free trip, because we have Gardner Minshew out there this year. Like, it's not a Pro Bowl anymore. It's now turned into, like, the M- if you're a 12-time NBA All-Star. Yeah, because everybody else said no, or they were injured. Or All-Star games don't mean anything. We should actually take that off the resumes. Well, it, they don't mean what they, they've tried to elevate the importance of Major League Baseball's All-Star game by making home field advantage, mm-hmm. I think. But none of these, all, they, the guys all make too much money to want to risk anything in an All-Star game, and they should cancel the NBA All-Star game too because it's a reminder of just how bad the product has become. But go ahead, Steve. Well, I remember the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl that I remember used to be a week after the Super Bowl. So every team had its players on there. And back then, guys did not back out. I remember when they used to announce the Pro Bowl team, it would be a big deal, and guys would fight to make sure they got to Honolulu. They used to play at Aloha Stadium. It'd be a big deal. And I remember the game in 1991. They have actually have YouTube clips of it. That game looked like a real football game where guys cared. It was emotional. People celebrated. And I think this is a lot of this thing was really interesting. Before this thing completely devolved to what it is now, TJ and Jason, for years I kept hearing, The Pro Bowl is terrible. Nobody's watching it. Oh, my God, it's not real football. You look at the television ratings, it would still be the highest rated sporting event that week. It would actually outdraw most NBA and certainly most college basketball games. So there was this media-driven narrative that nobody cared or watched the traditional Pro Bowl. And it turned out, once again, to be another big, fat, mainstream lie. Yeah, they certainly ruined the Pro Bowl. Uh, Steve, uh, Bill Belichick, the hiring cycle in the NFL is done. It's completed. Uh, Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest coach of all time, still wants to coach, couldn't land. I think there were six jobs. One interview. Yeah, one interview, couldn't land a job. Do you think, people are speculating, that Bill Belichick may never coach in the NFL again you think that's true? 
I think there's certainly a possibility that maybe the perception, whether it's true or not, is that he's a tough, hard-nosed, non-players coach who's very disciplined and rigid. And maybe in this era, it simply does not work with this generation of players. But I want to point this out again, guys. I, I wonder if Bill Belichick's insistence, if there is one, on him being the personnel guy and, and the de facto GM hurt his cause because a lot of what happened in New England, where they still had a good defense on the other side of the ball, Bill Belichick was responsible for that. Every, it's easy to blame Mac Jones, but if you look at the skill position players in New England, it's the worst set of players in the league by far. They had a bunch of guys that probably wouldn't even make the roster probably be special teams players at best on most other teams. And I, I look, you probably want him as the coach, the defensive tactician. I wonder how many teams are saying, wait a minute, we have to also take Bill Belichick as our draft guru and our GM. I, I wonder if people believe Belichick has simply lost his touch in that department. I, if I'm an NFL owner, I'd rather – bet on Bill Belichick not being past his expiration date than bet on some of these unproven guys that are getting jobs with very limited resumes. Well, the other thing is, like, name the good GMs. There aren't that many. So it's like if, if you're firing your head coach, you're probably not – oftentimes they come as a tandem. And so you're, you may be filling both spots anyway. The only place that it really may not work is just because of Jerry Jones is Dallas. It's like Jerry Jones may not want to give up that job title. And it, but other than that, I mean, I could see him coaching the Philadelphia Eagles in 2025. Nick Sirianni may not be around. He's got a quarterback in place. It's a blue-collar city. I think next year is going to be a race. As soon as you figure out that, hey, we're done with the, this coach – they're going to fire their coach, and it's going to be a race to start interviewing the one guy out there that has a proven record, because I would take him above Mike Vrabel. <sighs> well, hmm. the race is going to be hard because I, I wonder if you can fire a guy eight games in and make Bill Belichick your interim head coach. And, and hmm. or does, would the Rooney rule prevent that from happening? Hmm. Because what now happens is you fire your coach early so you can promote your black assistant to head coach. And then when the season's over, you can interview him and say, hey, you know, we gave him eight games or 10 games to coach. We interviewed him. We've covered our Rooney rule deal. And now we can move on. Or could someone fight and, and bring Bill Belichick in as the interim head coach, let him scout out a bad team for seven, eight, nine, ten games, and then go into the offseason as, as the head coach? That, 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 but I wonder if even Belichick would be interested in that because you come in as an interim, you, you're trying to improve your draft position probably at that point, and so Bill's got to take a bunch of L's. Uh, along the way. I, I don't know if he would be interested in that, but uh, uh, Steve, speaking of uh, the coaching carousel, uh, big news, uh, the Washington Commanders have named their offensive coordinator, and it's Cliff Kingsbury, the failed Arizona Cardinals coach who's known as a QB whisperer. Uh, that means that after a year of looking at Eric Bieniemy. The Washington commander said, nah, we're good. Uh, we're moving on. Uh, will this finally put to bed uh, the narrative that Eric Bieniemy 
is the greatest coach in the NFL history who never got a head coaching job? Or will this resurface once again and everybody in the league is racist for not hiring Eric Bieniemy? Well, that, this talk, I don't think the narrative was ever that he was the greatest coach or assistant never to get a head coaching job. I really don't. I, there was this narrative though early in the year, well, look how badly the Chiefs are struggling without the enemy. What was? I'm just being honest with you. I never heard anyone say that the enemy yeah, was the greatest yeah. assistant. But here's the thing that's interesting. If the enemy was in the Super Bowl and the Chiefs weren't, this would be a central storyline. Look how bad the Chiefs have fallen off. Well, last I checked, Chiefs are still in the Super Bowl. But to be fair, their offense hasn't been that great either. They are now kind of a game-managing, ball-control uh, unit led by an all-time great quarterback, an all-time great tight end. And Andy Reid's kind of pieced it together. But, you know, with enemy, I'm not so sure where he fits. I, look, Sam Howell was a very inconsistent quarterback. Washington was not a very good team. In fairness, I don't know if this was a great barometer of his effectiveness um, as an offensive coordinator. But here's the question, though. Where does he get hired now at this point? I don't really care about the perception or what the race baiters are going to say about Eric Bieniemy. The question is, at this point now, does he even land on his feet with another NFL job? And if so, will he go back to being a position coach, or is there actually a coordinator spot waiting for him? Uh, Steve, I think we got a bad connection. I think Jamel Hill uh, is ah. on, on your wireless connection, and, and I just well, what do you want I, I me to can't say? believe I, what you know, I'm listening. No, here's the thing. Who cares what they think about Biennemi? He was a mediocre coordinator. I get it. He didn't succeed. I Let me just say something, Jason. There's 50 stories we could talk about. I didn't think Biennemi was one of them. He's just another unemployed head coach. And the fact that he's black, okay. They haven't pushed Biennemi down our throats in two months. Seriously. I don't know what to really say other than the fact he didn't do a good job. Everyone got fired. There is no narrative anymore, Jason. He has not been a topic of discussion since You just answered my question. Well, that's because I'm all, that's just saying. Now my job, the narrative though. is dead. It is. It is over. <laughs> Isn't it our responsibility to point out how bad the narrative was? Because we do do this. That the particularly the left and week. the race baiters. Uh, we may have done it last we week, did but that last week. it's now official. Yeah. This is the. Anyway, go ahead. Every damn week. Uh, come on, guys. There's fresh stories. <laughs> the enemy's not a story, guys. I don't give it. No, I don't give a shit if you're pissed. I, look. The enemy failed, but they did not even talk about this. Jason, we brought this up last week. This is kind of piling on now. Let's be honest. There's nothing new to add to what we said last week. So now you want to bring out the Jamel Hill shot. Okay. Well, this is what you're going to get then. Sorry. Man, Steve, are you yeah, angry see, right now? No, I'm actually bemused. I, I'm like, the enemy, why are we bringing this guy up? Why? I answered your question. He said, Jamel Hill. I'm like, time out. You're not doing that. Nope, nope, nope. I, I don't think the enemy should be brought up again this whole offseason. No one cares, Jason. Come on. Dion, I get. The enemy, eh, whatever. Huh. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if, if Steve's right. Help me out here, TJ, while I sit and ponder. I bet if we punched Eric the enemy into Google right now, we'd get a bunch of stories. Well, let's try. And that, that's a good barometer for us about how he was not, or certainly into Twitter, because he did go to a defensive head coach, 
and he was in charge of the offense. And the offense was no good, but again, to Steve's point, I mean, it's not like uh, they had a, a lot of great players over in Washington. What is Google telling us? Uh, NBC Sports, commanders are working through Eric Bieniemy's status. Sports Illustrated, two hours ago, could Steelers make Eric Bieniemy next coaching hire? Deadspin, one hour ago, Eric Bieniemy should be preparing for the Super Bowl. Instead, he's in limbo. Uh, Ten minutes ago, CBS Sports, commanders working through Eric Bieniemy's status after hiring new offensive coordinator. Uh, Yard Barker, 14 hours ago. What's next for Eric Bieniemy after commander's hiring of Cliff Kingsbury? There, there seems to be a lot of, of, of and Steve, I, I, don't, I, I don't mind you saying whatever you said, but again, I was cracking a joke. You, you seem to have right. taken it very personally and seem no, angry. I'm just saying, it's like, okay, like, I don't know what you wanted me to say. He failed. He's no longer the coordinator. I wanted you to answer the question. I, want, I didn't want you I to be angry to, at me for asking the question. I'm not angry. But I think there comes a point is like Bianami is such a non-story. Why belabor? The poor guy. The poor guy got stuck well, in a Steve, bad situation. Steve, I'll say this. Here's what I'll say. And I, I get your sympathy for him or whatever. But invite me on the Steve Kim show and we'll talk about what you, you're interested in. I'm inviting you on my show. I still have some interest in Eric Bianami. And again, I don't have a problem with anything you've said. You said it's not a story and all that. I just, the, the, the anger just seemed to There's really no anger. Me. I think it's exasperation. It's like, what do you want me to say? The uh, enemy, I think that there is a group that would like to see him land on his feet. Okay, I get it. I don't, like to me, I don't, like I kind of felt bad for Eric. You know why? There was no way he was going to succeed at that job at Washington. The parts were not there. I think we all knew he was propped up by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. And when you go from Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey to that, we knew how this was going to end. Not well. It didn't end well. I mean, that. well, I don't know what the story is here at this point. I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of NFL coaches take other people's trash and make it look a lot better. Uh, I, I've, seen, I, I've seen the Kansas City Chiefs uh, elevate more consistently, much better offense. I saw you know, what Andy Reid did for Alex Smith and now for Patrick Mahomes, he did for Donovan McNabb, he did for Michael Vick. Wherever Andy Reid shows up, the quarterback play elevates no matter who the quarterback is. And I saw Donovan McNabb, and I know it was at the end of his career, but then I saw him coached by the Shanahans or Mike Shanahan in Washington. And I was the biggest Donovan McNabb fan. I was his number one fan. I met his parents. His parents used to tell me how much they appreciated my coverage of Donovan McNabb. And then when he got over to Washington, I was like, oh my God, was this all Andy Reid? And so, you know, I, I've just seen Nick Saban, he'll show up. And again, I know I'm comparing Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, yeah. Colin Kaepernick I'm comparing these guys to great. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of was the narrative as it related to Eric Bieniemy that, you know, oh my God, he's going to make a difference in Washington. And he made no difference to the point that the Washington Commanders had basically fired him as offensive coordinator. We went through all of this deal of, He's, he should be a head coach. It's a criminal he's not a head coach. To the Washington Commanders looking at him for a year and saying, nah, he's not even good enough to be our offensive coordinator. 
That's fascinating. It speaks to, to my, in my view, just how wrong the media was about Eric Bieniemy. My contention was that Eric Bieniemy holds a clipboard in Kansas City and pretends to call plays, and he's benefiting from the Andy Reid effect. Yep. Some of his previous, Matt Nagy may have the same thing. Uh, may be true or not, but <clears throat> Matt Nagy was a former quarterback. My whole argument with these running backs, there's like a history, there's a blueprint on who makes a good NFL head coach and who actually makes a good offensive coordinator. And it's not running backs. It's generally former quarterbacks, maybe a wide receiver, but the running back position, there, there, there is like a profile of you know, who makes a good head coach, who makes a good offensive deal. And Eric Bieniemy didn't check any of those boxes and he was propped up. And, and now we're at the conclusion of like, all right, let's move, because for about three straight years, all we, we heard, saw people parading on TV, the NFL's racist for its treatment of Eric Bieniemy. And now I just think we got our final point here that, nah, the NFL wasn't racist. There's something that Eric Bieniemy's lacking. Well, and how many head coaching uh, interviews did he have? 15? I mean, so it's like, did they get him in the room and they figure out, oh, you don't even know this offense. This whole thing is Andy. Like, they got a lot of close-up looks. And then you had a defensive head coach come in and say, here it is. And the other thing I'll say is, partway through the year, Washington's statistically, I, I, I think uh, quarterback was leading the league in passing yards partway through the year, five, six, seven games of the year, and we were having a conversation, hey, maybe the enemy is pretty good. And then we got to the end of the year and figured out he may not even be good enough to be a coordinator. We'll find out if he's still in the NFL next year. All right. Uh, with Steve's permission, I'll move on uh, <laughs> to a different topic. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., Steve, was on the, was this the Pivot podcast? It yep. was Ryan Clark, uh -huh. is he the Pivot? Ryan Clark, the Pivot, uh, talking about uh, the WNBA and what's wrong with the WNBA. And uh, it was a burst of honesty from a professional athlete that I don't think we get much very often. Uh, let's, do we have that clip? I, yeah, stop one, let's play that. I see it from both sides. I know these females want to get paid more. Um, and they're very talented, but so is so is a famous ping pong player. They're just as talented as, as a like the best ping pong player is just as talented as the best basketball player. That doesn't mean they're going to get paid the same because it's because right. they play what, ping pong. It's what the people want to watch. You know what I mean? So as much as I understand females wanting the same treatment as as men basketball players, it's it's it's. A different sport people they're not packing out the arenas obviously their tv deals aren't the same so as much as i advocate for women and kind of the equality of the respect of their craft and all those things i mean you can't pay them the same thing you know but i do feel like they should there there should be a little way to make a little bit more money for right. them because they are very talented Correct. yeah i think the i think the big thing um obviously when you're thinking about negotiations labor unions and different things like that I don't believe there's any woman that believes she should be paid as a man gets paid. It's more about the revenue share. It's more about the percentage. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Steve, what do you think happened here uh, with Michael Porter? Did, did he get, did his brain get hacked by the truth? What, 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 did he not get the memo well, of what you're supposed to say when talking about the WNBA? As an Asian, I appreciate him sticking up for all ping pong players. 
Yes. We, they should all get paid a lot more. Every Asian in America and in the homeland, especially China, thank you for sticking up for ping pongers everywhere. We appreciate that. I don't know what he said that was wrong, but that is the truth that because he told the truth in such a blunt fashion, people's minds are boggled and Ryan Clark has to kind of try to walk it back. And we didn't show that one clip where Channing Crowder, I give him even more credit. He flat out said the game's boring. Nobody wants to watch it. Uh, I'm surprised. See, I actually think he's the one that really needs to be getting heat if we're going to be angered at that. Here's the problem that I have with uh, the whole revenue sharing thing. That's the new tagline for these people. Folks, the WNBA has been propped up by the NBA as a charity case for every single year. They have never made a dime of profit. So when you talk about revenue share, first we should go to revenue risk. Put up some of your own capital. Try to be your own league. You know, one thing that I've never seen in my life, and I'm being serious about this, uh, living in L.A. my whole life, driving around the city, walking around Staples Center once in a while. I've never actually seen anyone wear an L.A. Sparks jersey, except for Lisa Leslie during the highlights. And literally, that's the only one I can name is Lisa Leslie because she went to Morningside. This whole notion that somehow we should feel sympathy. Eh, not really. The other thing that I hate, and we've talked about this, Jason, the attitude and the way these women conduct themselves is unappealing to most Americans. Your political stances, your social stances, uh, the gestures that you have made, your own behavior, we don't like it. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm going to really tell the truth. You could lower the rim to eight and a half feet. I still wouldn't watch it. I still wouldn't watch the game. And I see this virtue signaling on Twitter from these guys that cover basketball sticking up for it who have jobs covering NBA teams. I would ask them, so we made you cover the WNBA team and you couldn't cover the NBA. Would you look at that as a promotion or a demotion? I'd love to see if they could give an honest answer to that. Ryan Clark's comments did bother me for the same reason as you in terms of this percentage of revenue. The WNBA is a money loser. Yep. And so what they should be, what the WNBA actually is, is uh, intramural sports. And we used to pay to play intramural sports because we weren't generating any revenue. And so I used to play intramural basketball in high school, and that would cost us money because teachers had to come and open the building and had to ref games and all that, and we would pay money. The high school basketball team, they didn't have to pay money to be on the team. Yep. And so that's just how things work. And so I, I, I found Ryan Clark's comments silly and a, a lack of understanding of just, it is a business. They're losing money. It's a welfare sport. Now, could a, a Caitlin Clark perhaps inject some incitement, excitement into the WNBA? Yes, I think so. But I, I was, I was shocked. And maybe you know Michael. Didn't Michael Porter didn't play a year at Mizzou? Yes. Yeah. This, this guy's got a pair. I'm saying I'm not surprised by this. This is him. He he'll be honest with you. Um, so don't ask him unless you want to know. I mean, he's one of those types. He's not, he's not super vocal and all that, but their whole family, 
group of pretty devout Christians. There's, if you listen to this whole thing, he went back probably a few minutes earlier and talked about, hey, listen, Christianity is pretty countercultural. And so if, you, if you're going to ask a Christian what he thinks, it's, it's not going to be with what the culture says. Literally, that, that was right before this conversation. And so this is kind of who he is. As far as the revenue sharing, you have to say that instead of profit sharing because there's no profit. And that's the reality. So the, the, te- the catchphrase now is revenue. Revenue, they're, gonna, you know, they're projecting between 180 and 200 million, which, by the way, is about double what they were doing in 2019. And so, you know, they only play 40 games versus 82 in the NBA. Nobody's watching them. And they've been subsidized, on average, $10 million per year by the NBA. And so if it's, if it's a profit share, these girls need to show up with a $5 million check and say, here is our participation. The, the other thing about the revenue deal is many corporations are investing in the WNBA out of guilt, out of it's the right thing to do. Hey, there's a bunch of lesbians out here. Let's support their league. This is good for ESG. This is good for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it it is what it is. I want to segue to, because I I think this goes right along uh, with this conversation. Caitlin Clark next year will be in the WNBA. And these guys want to kill Caitlin Clark. There's so much jealousy over the fact that Caitlin Clark is the most exciting player in all of women's basketball that Cheryl Swopes, one of the great college and professional female players of all time, they're taking shots at Caitlin Clark. It's like it's the equivalent of Fuzzy Zeller taking shots at Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods joins the PGA Tour, brings all this excitement and elevates the whole sport of golf. And the old guard is pissed because Tiger's a black dude and, you know, he's getting all this attention. And so I'm looking at women's basketball. They're pissed that this little white girl is out here killing it and she's the only exciting thing. But let's play uh, these clips of uh, Cheryl Swope's. Let's play all three of them just taking shots <laughs> at Caitlin Clark that are factually incorrect and just wrong-headed. Obviously, generational college basketball career. How do you think her game will translate to the W? So that, that's a two-part question for me. Because I say this, yes, records are made and set to be broken. But if you're going to break a record, this isn't just for Caitlin, but you asked me about Caitlin. If you're going to break a record, to me, if it's legitimate, you have to break that record in the same amount of time that that player set it. Okay. Right? So if if Kelsey Plum set that record in four years, Mm -hmm. well, Caitlin should have broke that record in four years. But because there's a COVID year, then there's another year. You know what I mean? So she's already had an extra year to break that record. So is it truly a broken record? I, I don't you, know. You think, you think exactly how I... I don't I think, think so, but yeah, that'll go in the record books as Caitlin Clark is the all-time, whatever it is. I don't even know what the number is, but that's the way it'll be. So people say, dang, like he or she's killing them, but you have a 25-year-old playing against a 20-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like, you, sh- you should be killing them. Yeah. Because you've been doing it a lot longer than they have. Yeah. So I'm not sure. But I know she can come back another year. Yeah, this is her, her fourth season, though, so she would be... Oh, she'd be legit. Caitlin Clark right now probably takes about 40 shots a game. 
Mm-hmm. Carry on. <laughs> I know you like that. Hell yeah. I said that because when she comes to the league, regardless of what team she goes to that has vets on that team, mm. she probably ain't going to get 40 shots a game. Or y'all don't get to, st- they don't get to stand on a number one? I said she, she, she might, but I don't, I'm... Y'all number one piggy. I'm... <laughs> Hmm. Uh, that's a lot of hate, a lot of bad information. Caitlin Clark played four seasons, or this is her fourth season, same as uh, Casey Flum, Kelsey Flum. Uh, Caitlin Clark has played 123 games. Uh, K- Kelsey Flum played 139 games. Caitlin's averaging 28.1 points per game. Kelsey Flum is averaging 25.4, average 25.4. Caitlin Clark takes 19.7 shots per game on average throughout her career. Uh, not that's less than half, and it, it it she's 22, not 25. <sighs> this is a lot of hate. They're killing the golden goose, man. This is inc- but it's incredible. Yeah. Outside of that, I thought Miss Swoops nailed it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, mean this is, I mean, I mean, this is this is what uh, well, Thomas Sowell calls this the philosophy of grievance, and I will add, based on ignorance. I don't because I was listening to all that, and I'm thinking, really, 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 and then you just told me, not really, Jason, and I think it's Kelsey Plum, not Flum, right? Plum, I, you know, me big. Yeah, me, big WNBA guy here, the historian. I want to uh, correct you on that. So here's the thing. Thank you. As I'm listening to all that about what Miss Swoop said about the dynamic of when she comes into the professional ranks next year, how there's going to be some conflict, that she will not be allowed to be the gunslinger. Jason, doesn't this remind you of Pistol Pete Maravich? I mean, style of play, the dominance at that level. And what I've read and what I've heard about Pistol Pete is he was such a dominant force. I mean, this guy scored 40 points a game at LSU before the shot clock in a three-point shot. That's an that's probably scoring like 55 a game, right? Back when you could slow it down. But I've read and I've, and I've seen documentaries that when he got into the NBA, there was a lot of jealousy. Guys did not like the show. They didn't like how good he was. They tried to freeze him out. And his professional career, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was it was sad. It was very productive. But I don't know how happy he was because there was a lot of stuff going around that was anti-Pistol Pete. I wonder, is Caitlin Clark the female pistol? Uh... I love the analogy because I do think she is the female version of Pistol Pete. But I also think that, like Larry Bird, there was a reason why the Celtics had the whitest roster in the league playing alongside Larry Bird. And I'm not even saying that to be funny, because like when Bill Russell was the star of the Celtics, they had the blackest roster in the NBA at that time. To, to fit Bill Russell's personality. But, but the clear fact is that she's going to, and this is something no one can talk about other than we'll talk about it here on this show. She's going to face a level of racism from black players 
and she's going to face a level of hostility from lesbian players because she's not on team LGBTQ. She's a Catholic. She's got some boyfriend. She's going to walk into a extremely hostile environment. And so when it was Tiger Woods walking into a hostile environment of the PGA Tour, we talked about it. We covered it. We, we covered it sympathetically. We, we criticized the people that were against Tiger Woods. As it relates to uh, Caitlin Clark, who could come and make the WNBA far more relevant. I'm not going to say she's going to make them relevant, but she'll make them more relevant. She's going to face a level of hostility that's unprecedented. I mean, because, again, people think men are bad. A group of women? <laughs> you just sat and listened to Cheryl Swoops oh. just stack lie on top of lie on top of misinformation. And a group of black people basically mostly just nodded their heads mm -hmm. as if she knew what she was talking about. Because Gilbert Arenas knows virtually nothing. Uh, and so I, I think this is, this is why this thing is fascinating because... She's going to walk into hostile territory, and there's a reason why Iowa's roster, why she's playing at Iowa. Maybe she's from that area. I think maybe she grew up there. Yeah. But, but they got a predominantly white roster because you put an Angel Reese on that team, and you got headaches and problems. You, 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 you're multiplying your Cheryl Swopes of the world that are sitting there just trying to hate on them and trying to prove that you know they're not as good as all the hype. Well, and Tiger didn't have a bunch of teammates either. Yeah, that is a hard thing. You're gonna have to go back into the locker room. But if you read those stories about, I just, Larry Bird is in my timeline a fair bit. I get a lot of NBA stuff, and I see a lot of those uh, the players from that era talking about the first time they played Larry Bird, and it was a lot of, don't you put that white boy on my team? And then an hour and a half later, they'd say, I get it. And I think that is what will happen over time with Caitlin Clark, particularly if she's bringing real relevance. Now, the difference, this is what you pointed out, and I think this is real, and it's the real difference between men and women at our core. The women will be very jealous, and that, I think, is going to be a monster problem. I hope they get over it for the winning. Guys like to win, even if they're not the star. Well, great, we'll get a championship. Well, everybody jump on Michael Jordan's back. Everybody jump on Larry Bird's back. I don't know if that will happen with Caitlin Clark. Uh, TJ, Steve, you got story any? about Larry Bird. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, first practice he ever was with with the Boston Celtics, Cedric Maxwell had doubts about how good Larry Bird was, and he said, Look, let me stick him in a scrimmage. And he said within five minutes, he said, this is the greatest player I've ever seen. And so I, you know, Larry Bird, you sh Larry Bird during tip-off, and they'd come down the court, and if he was guarded by a white guy, he'd tell him, hey, guy, you're insulting me. Get a black guy on me immediately. <laughs> He used to tell that to the opposing coaches. Don't ever do that. Put a white guy on me. We're not doing this here. So he used to just kill people. Here's what's going to happen, guys, with Caitlin Clark and the WNBA, and it's going to be a simmering thing with the teammates and, and even with the opponents. And I think the teammates might have it worse uh, out for her. When she gets into the NBA, games that have maybe two, 3,000 will suddenly have almost 10,000, at least the first time around, right? And these players in their own home arenas are going to see suddenly a big crowd for the opposing player. And get this, a lot of these people might have Caitlin Clark paraphernalia, her jersey, her shirts with the number on it. And TJ, to what you said, there's going to be this growing resentment because now people are going to write stories. Caitlin Clark, the great white hope, the savior of the WNBA. So every WNBA storyline going into these cities are going to be very Caitlin Clark-centric. She's going to be the Cinderella of the league. 
Jason Whitlock will do week-long shows talking about Caitlin Clark, and we're going to have to do shows about it and all that. But there's going to be a thing. <laughs> and then you go to the hotel or you're out in a public function and the team is out. And all these little girls who have no clue, if, they don't really have a concept of race the way adults do. They're all going to race right across, right past all these teammates that have been in the league for seven, eight years that may have had more accomplished careers to get her autograph. And then the crowds are going to be around her all the time. All the, the uh, endorsement deals going to be with Caitlin Clark. All the appearances that you have to make for the team in the league, Caitlin Clark. The, the locker room politics and the derision she is going to face over time it's going to be really interesting to see how she is treated by, number one, the opponents. But, number two, I really want to see how her teammates deal with all this. Steve, the only thing I, I disagree with is I think the media is going to participate in the diminishment mm. of Caitlin Clark. Mm. That yeah. the woke thing to do, it, it'll be like uh, the fade haircut deal. <laughs> Don't you know that... Uh, Black people, black female players invented basketball. Don't you realize that? And she's just culturally appropriating. Uh, who, who will they say? Steph Curry's style of play. Mm -hmm. She's, or they'll scratch their brains and try to come up with some black woman, but they'll probably go to Steph Curry. And she's just culturally appropriating. And, and they'll pretend like Pete Berovich never existed. They'll pretend like James Naismith never existed. <laughs> and that basketball didn't exist until Michael Jordan invented it. Uh, and so it's, it's I, I think she's gonna be, she's gonna catch hell from the media, she's gonna catch hell from the opposition, and if they don't have the right teammates in place and the right head coach in place, she's gonna catch hell from her own teammates. As far as your media take, she's a woman. And it, a lot of these- a sexual woman. True. But yeah, woman, nonetheless, straight. so you, you, get, you get something on the victim scale for being a woman. And she's been historically oppressed, according to the same media that's going to be ripping her. They, they're generally uncomfortable with whipping, um, um, ripping women the same way that they do men. If she's a Catholic, which I think people think she is. She is, but not outspoken Catholic. It's like she's... She, that's sin enough. She's a Catholic. She, she's a Catholic, heterosexual. She can be ripped and destroyed. She, she's, and I know. She, she loves quiet Christians. That's one of their favorite things. You be a good Christian, you go sit over there in the corner and don't talk. I think they love lesbian Christians more. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting, guys? Here's the other thing. Oh, go ahead, TJ. Go, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah, here's well, the other thing that, that <laughs> I'm going to go, Steve. I'll, I'll referee. Yeah. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah, the, in the locker room, we, we saw this when we were talking about the difference earlier this year between LSU's locker room, where they were playing gangster rap, and then the high school musical sing-along they had going in the Iowa locker room. I don't think there's going to be a lot of high school musicals, so it is hard to bond. There's going to be a cultural difference in what she's been used to in her little bubble in Iowa compared to what she's going to have in the WNBA. Steve, before you go, just there have been some, I believe, black WNBA players Talk about the discrimination they felt for not going along with the LGBTQ stuff. Talk about like the sexual gymnastics inside the locker room and the pressure. 
And so if let's doesn't Brittany Griner play in Phoenix? And if Brittany Griner decides she wants a taste of of uh, Caitlin Clark, th there's going to be hell to pay if it's not given up. I mean, this is you know, if you listen to the handful of heterosexual women in the WNBA, it's like walking into prison, and somebody's going to try to make you grab a belt loop. Brittany Griner, one of these others that have been celebrated as a hero, and none of this. Only place you'll be able to hear this discussed is on this show. It'll all be ignored. The, the sexual dynamics, the sexual oppression and discrimination that she'll go through will all be ignored. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, and for the record, I just want to make it clear. To me, just growing up as a child of the 80s and given that I'm a Southern California, Cheryl Miller will always be the greatest female basketball player. But I do see Jason's point that given the time and place, Caitlin Clark can be as important as anyone that played this game in that genre. Here's what I think is going to happen. Watch these stories. I'm going to predict this right now. The way they can now um, monitor jersey sales and paraphernalia, like they always have stats of who is the highest selling jersey, right? Whatever number Clay Caitlin Clark wears, whether it's going to be 44, 23, or numbers double zero, when that jersey is the best selling jersey her rookie year by far, there will be stories about why is the white woman being supported after all these years of the WNBA, and two things are going to happen here. White America, because the inference will be only white Americans are buying Caitlin Clark's jersey. Well, number one will be questioned, why are you supporting her? And number two, why aren't you buying these other jerseys? So there's going to be this guilt trip that's going to be like, number one, I feel bad for Caitlin because the more successful she is, She's going to be under some intense scrutiny that's going to be very different than any other athlete. But also the followers and supporters of Caitlin Clark, they will almost, not almost, they will be branded as racist for supporting Caitlin Clark because here's the one thing I do like about her. She's very normal and plain. Uh, I don't know much about her politics. She seems like a very good teammate, certainly a great performer. And she actually acts like a lady. And I know that's going to be going to turn people off, but I actually like the fact she's not all tatted up and she looks and acts feminine. That alone is going to make her a target in what is now the WNBA in the sports world in 2024 and beyond. Your daughter, TJ, possibility she'll want a Caitlin Clark jersey. Mm -hmm. You may get her one. Mm -hmm. And people will say, how come you didn't get her a Brittany Griner jersey? Yeah. How come you didn't get her? I don't want her to grow up to be a six foot eight lesbian. <laughs> or how about Angel Reese then? Hey, TJ, would you get her an Angel Reese jersey? How about one of those? No, I, I want her. Uh, I, I want her to get good enough grades to be able to stay on her own team the year after she wins a national championship. That'd be good. I, I am. Wow. I gotta admit this. I gotta, and I'll probably get trash for this. I'm very capable of buying a Caitlin Clark jersey. I'm so upset I didn't think about getting that for you for Christmas. <laughs> that would have been such no, a good gift. No. I am capable. I won't wear it, but would I put it up oh, alongside really? my Reggie Miller jersey? Really? Yes, <laughs> I would. Yeah. You already have I the fat head. I wouldn't put it up in here during the tournament. Clark. I know that, Jay. You know what? When you Tiffany gets back, I do. I want some. I do want some Caitlin Clark paraphernalia in here. Uh, <laughs> just to troll these guys and just to irritate the racist oh, bigots. It's, it's, 
I, I, because that's what this is. I'm just telling, and no one's going to talk about it, or everybody's going to try to justify, well, they're just angry and racist because of past oppression, because, you know, they didn't get celebrated uh, when, you know, this is an insult to, what's her name, Leslie, Lisa Leslie? Yeah, or or Cheryl Cheryl Miller. Miller. Yeah. Swoops, Uh, who else? Uh, Candace Parker. Lynette Woodard. Candace Parker, yeah. Candace Parker, yeah. right. If we did not instruct these young black girls who to like, they'd be lining up to get these jerseys too. Because th- this is what happened. You could tell me if I'm wrong on this. When I was a kid, I wasn't looking at the other, like, like my favorite player was Marshall Falk. I wore 28 because of Marshall Falk. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to be Mike Allstott, who's the only white running back in the league. I'm like, nah, he's kind of big. I'm not like him, and he's not that good. I want to be like the guy on this team who's really fast and good. I want to be just like him. I won't be black, but that'll be okay. I bet the bunch of these young black girls would want to be Kate and Clark if we left them alone. That, that's, that's so funny because I was a Los Angeles Rams fan and as a kid, and I had Lawrence McCutcheon's jersey, and Jack Youngblood's jersey. Mm. And I can remember, I got a spanking, because during the summer, <laughs> I, I wore a Jack Youngblood jersey, my, the same one, like 12 days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Jason? And I played football in it, I played basketball <laughs> in it. I just kept wearing it. Uh, Jason, let me just tell you something. Any funny. man Jack that plays Youngblood. in a Super Bowl, with a broken leg, deserves to have you wear his jersey for two weeks in a row. I actually think that's a great honor. He <laughs> earned that distinction with what he did in that Super Bowl 13 or 14. <laughs> it's it's comical because he now follows me on Twitter, and it's one of the coolest things. Uh, you know, Lawrence McCutcheon does. I don't think Lawrence McCutcheon's on Twitter. Steve, uh, we're out of time. I got to get to Matt Burke. Uh, got to let you go. All right, thank you. Uh, we're going to bring in uh, Matt Burke. Talk a little about chefs for veterans, a little bit about uh, Matt Burke's uh, football career. Next. Warren Sapp, previously on Fearless. I want to know who the hell the analytics guy is. Is he the 25? 20, does he have a break on his car insurance yet? Is he 27? You know, does he have kids at home? You know, I don't want to talk no damn numbers unless you're one of them hedge fund managers that's a billion dollars. Because when we're talking about a football game, it's pretty easy. When we're talking about midway through the third quarter, you're inside the 30 yard line and you're up 14 points on the San Francisco 49ers. I go up three scores because there's only four possessions maybe left in the game. Let's go through it after he goes for this, and the guy he goes to on fourth down, this is the first pass he's thrown to him all game. All right, welcome back. Uh, As promised, uh, we're going to be joined by Matt Burke, 14-year NFL veteran, a uh, six-time Pro Bowler at the center position. I think once all pro, a Super Bowl champion uh, with the Baltimore Ravens, I believe in 2012. Uh, Matt is involved in a uh, push during this Super Bowl week, promoting an initiative about hunger and hunger related issues that relates to our military veterans, chefs for vets. We're going to talk 
with uh, Matt about that, but I need you to be patient because there's a couple of questions I got to ask Matt before we get to Chefs for Vets. Uh, Matt, <clears throat> I did not know until today that you went to Harvard University. I, I have to ask, how did you leave Harvard with your sanity? You're the person I've heard rumors about you. I, I, they told me someone graduated from Harvard that was sane, and I found out it's you. How, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe I credit my parents for giving me a solid upbringing. Uh, admittedly, boy, we're going back 30 years now. I didn't know exactly what I was getting into when I, when I went to Harvard University. It's obviously a pretty... Uh, diverse place. I think it was a little bit different when I went there than it is today. It's gotten uh, it's gotten pretty nutty as we've seen in the in the recent months. But as as an alum, I, I hope that it uh, I hope that it corrects itself and uh, gets back to uh, you know being a little bit more accepting of everybody's viewpoints. So I say all that because man, Matt has been living out his faith, his Catholic faith, in a real way throughout his career, uh, long before, uh, well, I, I don't know, I, I can't believe, you know, Matt is anti-abortion, he's pro-life, awesome, uh, and spoke about, spoke out on these issues while an NFL player, didn't go to the White House when they won the Super Bowl because of Obama's position on abortion and support of Planned Parenthood. Uh, Seriously, Matt, walk us through a little bit, because we talk a lot about faith on this show, and we love to talk about athletes and their faith journey. Walk us through your upbringing and just your faith journey and, and how it uh, inspired you throughout all of your life, even as a young athlete. Well, I would say you know, I was brought up in the church and uh, you know, two great parents, and that was really the foundation. I knew at a young age, I knew who made me, what he did for me and what he expected of me. Um, but you know, Jason, then I, I started to have a, a little bit of success in the world. Uh, I mean, I was pretty average in just about every way growing up, but when I got to high school, you know, I, I played every sport in, except football. And so when I got to high school, I said, well, let's try football. And that's where I discovered two gifts that God gave me. He gave me the gifts of getting in people's way and grabbing onto them. And, uh, those are good gifts to have if you're an offensive lineman. And so started having some success and, you know, went to Harvard University and then got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, which was my hometown team. I grew up in Minnesota, rooted for the Vikings. And so to be drafted by that team was unbelievable and started to have success in the NFL. And that's when I really, really fell away from my faith. And it reached a point in my career where, um, I'd had all the worldly success I thought possible. I was the highest paid center in the history of the NFL. I, I had a hamburger named after me, uh, which is a pretty big deal if you're a lineman. And, uh, but I was really was miserable on the inside. And, you know, this surprises people. I, I get asked a lot, well, what's it like to be a Christian in the NFL? It's actually really easy um, because every team I played for had a team chaplain who was there all the time. Door was always open. There were multiple Bible studies during the week, uh, during lunch, uh, couples Bible study Thursday nights. And so it was really one of the one of the places where you're actually one of the few places where you're actually encouraged to grow in your faith. And uh, a lot of guys have Bibles in their lockers and they use them. And so I would kind of reached a point in my life where I had to I had to make a decision. Um, something had to change. 
And that's when I came back to, to my faith and had great team chaplains and, and, and great teammates who, you know, were all on this journey together and, uh, and really brought me back. And so people are surprised when I tell them that the locker room is a, is a very spiritual place. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of very, very strong Christian men in the NFL. And one of the great things, I think we've seen that recently, you know, with guys like CJ Stroud and Brock Purdy, uh, are being more, more outspoken about it. And it's, it's wonderful because, Christianity really is part of the of the football culture. You just wouldn't know it because because the media doesn't really talk about it. Matt, you you had the privilege of playing with two of my favorite NFL players of all time. One of them, the most talented quarterback probably in the history of football and a dear friend of mine, Jeff George. And then at the end of your career, I, I'm a guy that uh, I love Ray Lewis, man. I, I really do. And and I, I I just anyway, if any memories of playing with Jeff in 1998, your rookie year of the NFL. I know you didn't play much then, but any memories of that, and then any memories of your time with Ray Lewis? Well, man, with Jeff, you know, I, I grew up watching Jeff. I'm not calling you old, Jason, but you know, he's a little bit older than me, and. Uh, <laughs> And I remember when Jeff, Jeff actually came to us in 1999. We had this magical season in 98. 99, we're, we're scuffling, and we're 2-4. And, and uh, they put in Jeff at halftime of a game in Detroit. And, you know, Jeff, just cool, calm, and collective, confident. He went out there and, uh, and, and almost brought us back from a huge deficit. And I just thought, this guy's unbelievable. And in all my years in the NFL, I'd never seen a guy throw a ball so effortlessly it was just um it was it was just it was like a thing of beauty right like when you see something beautiful you just know it was like yeah, that guy was made to throw a football um but i just appreciate how how low key he was and then on the other side you got ray who people ask me all the time what's it what's it like to play with ray um monday through saturday ray lewis was the most chill guy in the locker room and at practice i mean Real low key. Sundays now was a different story. You know, Ray had created this character that he kind of <laughs> had to live up to. Um, nothing like nothing like being on the field in Baltimore when they introduce Ray Lewis with the with the smoke and the fire and and he does the does does the Ray Lewis dance. But the thing I really appreciated about Ray, you know, I was at the end of my career and so was he when we were together. And his his leadership. Um, Ray would pull guys aside at practice and, you know, he never, never got on anybody really like, you know, yell and scream in front of everybody. He would never, never diminish another person. He would call them aside if things weren't going good. And he would, he would really take the time and explain, you know, why it was important that they did their job or that they played a, a coverage a certain way. Um, but I really think the brilliance of Ray was as a leader you know, in the locker room, nobody got made fun of more than Ray, <laughs> you know, because he was doing crazy commercials and and getting guys barking like dogs on game day. But Ray understood he didn't he didn't carry himself like he was any better than anybody else on the team. And he understood everybody needed to, to play to play well in order for us to be successful as a team. And Ray was Ray was one of the greatest, if not the greatest leader that I was ever around in my career. Man, that's great to hear. So I, I, I want to also 
not also, but I want to hear about what you guys are doing for military veterans, many of whom are struggling financially and nutritionally. And you guys, uh, a lot of NFL, former NFL players, current NFL players have partnered with the Chefs for Veterans movement. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, one in six military veterans and their families are food insecure, which is just unacceptable. You know, it's it's kind of ridiculous that anybody in America goes hungry. Um, it's it's one of the dumbest problems that exists. You know, we got all these problems that I don't know if we'll ever solve them, Jason, but hunger is one of them. It's easy to solve. You know, it just takes money. There's there's plenty of food to to go around. And so uh, Heritage Gear, which makes a company that makes premium licensed goods. You can see some of the bags behind me here. Um, partnered with Robert Irvine and the Robert Irvine Foundation. Robert Irvine's a worldwide known celebrity chef, New York Times bestselling author. And Robert's foundation actually feeds hungry veterans. And so uh, Heritage Gear said any bags that we sell between now and Valentine's Day, the proceeds will go to the Robert Irvine Foundation in a campaign we're calling Chefs for Vets. There's chefs all over the country that are promoting and supporting this initiative. We've got guys like Brett Favre, Brian Urlacher, Kirk Cousins. Um, they're going to be promoting it as well. And uh, trust me, these bags, these bags are beautiful. Um, you can see the American flag ones behind me too. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. Great way for you to express your your affinity for a certain team or college or, or, or as a patriot, as a, as an American and the bags are made right here in the USA. And so it just seems fitting, you know, Super Bowl week, it's the Super Bowls. It, it's a, a secular American holiday. It's a day of leisure. Most of us are going to eat too much and, and enjoy the game. It seems like a good time to remember those who are less fortunate, particularly those who have sacrificed a lot, for our country and and have enabled us to to live the, these great lives that we're able to to live in America. Is there a website uh, that people can go to, or how, how do they get involved? Yeah, thank you. Just go to heritagegear.com, and like I said, any bag, any bag that uh, anybody buys between now and Valentine's Day um, goes to the Robert Irvine Foundation. Will feed hungry veterans, and it's it's pretty amazing too how much. You know, I say it only takes money to solve hunger, but uh, you can stretch a dollar a long ways when it comes to the hunger relief efforts. You can buy, it takes about uh, a dollar for three meals, actually. So if you if you buy a bag at heritagegear.com, uh, you'll feed a veteran for a month. Um, so you get a great product, support a, a company that's making goods right here in America, but most importantly, support our, our servicemen and women who who need our help, and it's just the right thing to do as Americans that that we help them in their time of need. Well, Matt, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, do you have a uh, Super Bowl prediction? Who, who you think's winning uh, Sunday's game? Is it Sunday's game? Is it, yeah, this coming. Yeah, we are off this week. Uh, who you yeah. think's winning Sunday's game? Man, I couldn't believe what uh, what Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did to my Ravens in Baltimore. I thought I thought this was the year. Uh, I thought it was as close to a slam dunk as you can get. So I'm not betting against uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and and those other guys. It's it's just pretty impressive what they've been able to do in this sort of transformation of of what the Chiefs are. You know, they're no longer that 
high flying offense. Uh, they got a great defense, and and you just can't uh, you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. So I'll go I'll go with them. Uh, well, thank you, Matt, and and my producers in my ear. They want me to ask one other question. Did did, did Claudine Gay plagiarize any of your work? Uh, from uh, <laughs> no, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke. Maybe I'm the only person at Harvard that didn't plagiarize when I was there. Maybe that's why I got B's and not A's. <laughs> that might be it. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate your work, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yep, uh, that's Matt Burke. And uh, TJ, I think that's it, and that's all for us. I like it. All right, uh, we're done. Play some tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Freedom, looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all deceiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want.